Saturday. That's when you can capture the Midnight Express. Hey, what's up? It's not a train. It's a prison where it's, um... back again for our new year's edition for our new year's edition this is the enigma hour with captain tiki and captain dave dave uh uh for duty dave come on yeah i'll let it happen captain (laughs) all right you're listening to the enigma hour with captain tiki miola phillips captain dave over there and we're going to explore another one of life's little mysteries yeah life's little mysteries that's what we do every thursday 10 p.m. to midnight. It's our New Year's edition over here on KADLP 103.5 FM, Sonora, California. Exploring life's little mysteries in Tuolumne County. Yeah, just uh, before we start, I, I'm kind of skeptical always of predictions. You know, uh, during the time where I grew up, uh, they were saying is the dawn of the new era. Sure, it was the, the age of Aquarius. Of, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Are you feeling very Aquarian? Uh, no, it's like, uh, I don't know if that ever says, do you believe in the elevation of man? And then you get hauled up by a rope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, I think that's the end result is some down the road someday when hell freezes over, I think we will elevate but when we're still blowing each other up i think we got a little ways to go i mean you can say you're the master of your own fate and create your own reality but there are forces yes there are forces 
You know, I should add another song to the playlist here about those forces. A certain Rolling Stones song that comes to mind. Okay. You know, I heard a saying about that. You know, Denzel Washington, he's, he's not only a really good actor, and I think he's a good actor and a good action actor. He's just a good actor. But he's quite the philosopher. And, you know... Whenever it gets all philosophical, everybody goes, Matthew McConaughey. You know, he's got these philosophical, oh, yes, the world would be a better place. But if you actually. No, that's his brand. You're that's right. his brand, yeah. But if you listen to Denzel Washington, he actually, like, says some, some stuff that's, that's pretty honest. Well, actually, the other night, uh, you know, you spend your time over the holidays just sitting there watching corny movies. Right. And we sat together and watched The Preacher's Wife. Okay. And in that movie, Denzel Washington plays an angel. And yeah. he's philosophizing all over the place. Well, he he famously said in multiple interviews that if you're that if you're doing things right, the devil is after you. But if you're doing things wrong, the devil will leave you alone. Something to that effect. And I thought there was a lot of wisdom in that. Well, uh, I've been feeling a little pursued lately, so I must be doing something right. Yeah, I, th- I think you were pursued. We're gonna we're gonna take care of that. So, Some- so, should I reveal the dream? You know, I think you should. Okay, so the other night I was dreaming. Just I, dreaming. Yeah. Well, I I yeah, well, we all people, dream. Yeah, every night. Sometimes sure. you remember them. Sometimes you don't. Well, really sometimes don't. Uh, my dreams are quite vivid, right. and uh, I rather enjoy them. Some okay. people might call them nightmares, but I call them high adventure. Sure. And, uh, but this curious one the other night is uh, there was like this big Scooby-Doo kind of monster uh, after me in my dream. Okay. And so I'm running. I'm running up this little knoll kind of uh, lawn area. And I, I kind of trip. And at the same time, I'm tripping. He's like doing a drop kick on me. He did like the whole WWF. Right. You know, That's exactly what yeah. it looked like. Sorry, you know exactly? WWE. They got sued right. by the World Wildlife Foundation or Fund or whatever. And I went flying across the lawn and uh, uh, got stopped, whacked uh, what I thought was a chain link fence. And then all of a sudden I woke up and I was no longer in my bed. I had flown off my bed and slammed against the wall. Three feet. It, it must have been at least three feet from yeah. the bed to the wall. I don't know. My wife woke up, and she says, what are you doing? What's wrong? wrong? You know? so I said, well, I had a dream. And she just thought the whole situation was rather bizarre. But It was pretty bizarre. I'm up against the wall on the floor, and I guess the slam woke her up. Yeah. And so that uh, my dream figure kicked me. And I physically, now, you know, have you ever had the experience where like you're flying in your dream and all of a sudden you crash and then you, you wake up and you can feel your bed kind of bouncing up and down like you sure. had fallen? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, no, I felt that. All right. So. I mean, for me, by the way, I, I chose the background music quite, in, quite uh, purposefully. <laughs> but anyway, no. Um, I actually, for a long time, for most of my life, as I was fall as- falling asleep, I would feel that I was falling, that I was actually falling. 
And later I, I came to understand what that feeling actually was. And the, at, some, at some point I was experimenting with magical stuff and I came across this thing called the Gansfeld where you, you put like a eye mask on and then you put on headphones and you listen to white noise and you kind of induced an altered state minus the drugs. And, and I, I kind of like worked on this method for a very long time and kind of got it to a point where for me personally, I, I perfected it. And when it would start, you know, there's a whole method of how you do this, but when it would start to actually kick in, so it's, you kind of start off with like this sensory deprivation. Right. It's sensory deprivation. And you kind of, you ask a question over and over and you address whoever ever it is that you believe in, you know, whether it's, you know, the secret chiefs in my case or God or the universe or an, art, an angel or whatever you're in, into, you ask a question, you keep repeating the question at least three times and then you'll get the answer. And one of the things I realized especially after talking to Greenfield about it, is that you have to say in terms I can understand. So like, I want to see X in terms I can understand, or I want to know about Y in terms I can understand. Because as you know, he talked about in the interview, that the message that you get back, if you don't say that, is, is highly metaphorical. And so you have to translate it. But if you say... If you say, in terms I can understand, they simplify it so that you can process it. Well, the act of doing that, for me personally, was to feel like I was falling into a void. And so I suddenly realized that when I would fall asleep, I felt like I was falling, but I, I realized I was falling into a void. Yeah, well, when I fell, I would hit. <laughs> yeah, I never <laughs> and then, hit. And then I wake up and the, the bed shaking. I would like wake if up. I'd actually sometimes. fall. Uh, so you I guess a man of many enigmas, David. Uh, thrown out of bed by a Something. dream. Something. Uh, We're going to take care of that. I hope though. that's not too unusual. Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, anyway, so I chose this music because, and I, I have a song that I'm going to play in a minute, but I chose this music intentionally because tonight I thought we could do a prediction show. And our last, I was thinking that from now on, it was a little thing that Art Bell did. I always got a kick out of it. But from here on out, the last show we do before the New Year, we'll do a prediction show. So for this one, I went out and scoured the internet and I got some predictions and they're pretty gloomy. So I thought, you know, let's have a rainstorm. But I did pick a special song to start this with. Okay. So here we go. The importance of this song will become evident shortly. So enjoy the music while you can.
So that's to get us in the mood here. So, <clears throat> uh, you know, uh, it's funny that it's this uh, happy sounding poppy song that's talking. It kind of reminded me of how uh, we didn't start the fire, the, the right, beat the Billy, to it is. Yeah, the Billy Joel yeah but uh, uh, I, I wouldn't know if it was the end of the world or not because. I don't know it. The world has always been very elusive for me. <laughs> so it could change, and I wouldn't even uh, notice it. Uh, All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some predictions, and then we'll see what you think, Dave. I'm going to pass them by you, and you can tell me what you think. So this comes from the Toronto Sun. It says, Seeing images, per, psych, psychics predict the end of Swelsey, uh, Putin's assassination in 2024. It's starting off on a good note. Well, actually, I don't know if that's bad news or not. Well, I didn't get to the rest. Oh, oh. That was the good news. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> Somebody's these, assassination is the good news. Well, I guess it depends on your perspective. Right. If you're Ukrainian, it probably is good news. Uh, celebrity psychic John Cohan has some interesting predictions, including the end of Taylor Swift 
and Travis Kelsey. Hopefully I'm saying his name right. I'm not much of a football guy. <clears throat> uh, oh, you see. mean a, they're predicting a breakup? They're predicting a breakup. Oh, okay. Uh, his career is on a high, he said, according to a New York Post article that will uh, stall any future with the superstar. Same goes for Justin Timberlake, whose professional life is going well, but his marriage to Jessica Biel is so-so. <clears throat> Maybe. Yeah, you know, he was boo-boo in the Yogi Bear movie. Was he? <laughs> uh, Meghan Markle uh, tries to get back into show business but bombs, while Trevor Noah tries his hand at acting, becomes a huge success, and will feel tons of offers. Uh, you know, I think that's what he was always hu- hungry for. Not Trevor, stand Trevor up, no, oh, yeah, because no. he'd do these little walk-ons and movies. Oh yeah, no, he he wants to be a he wants to be an actor, like a movie star. Uh, Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston will find their way back to one another, while Kevin Costner Costner will find love with someone half his age. Well, they that that's uh, that's not an outlandish prediction. No, you see all these. Uh, uh, it's old like rich. you're reading the room, you know. Right. Yeah. I, uh, let's see here. Mick Jagger and Paul McCartney kiss and make up after years of fu- feuding and collaborate. See, I didn't hit. even know uh, they were feuding. I had no idea. And is he really Paul McCartney? Oh, yeah. Paul's dead. Paul is dead. And the whole thing with the with Abbey Road where they're walking and he's he's at the end. Right. Yeah, you know that old conspiracy. Yes, right? yes. He died, supposedly died in like a car accident, I think. <clears throat> All right, here we go. And if you play the record backwards. <laughs> yeah, doesn't it say like Paul, <laughs> Paul is, is dead? dead. Yeah. Uh, the health of another older star, Shirley Jones, <laughs> if anybody even remembers who she is, takes a turn but manages to stabilize it but requires assisted living. Uh, Marlo Thomas and husband Phil Donahue. I did not know that Marlo Thomas and Phil Donahue were married. Oh, yeah, no, that's a long marriage. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. Anyway, get a TV special while Leonardo DiCaprio takes on the life story of Jack Cassidy and scores an Academy Award nomination. Jack Cassidy, the bassist, uh, the Jefferson Airplane? Yeah, I think guy? so. Are, are we, yeah, Jack Cassidy. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay so yeah, I've seen a, there's a Bob Marley movie coming out. Really? Yeah. All right, so this one comes from another person who's the Nostradamus of the Balkans. I'll okay, now wait, we just went through the celebrity predictions. Yeah, this was a celebrity, celebrity psychic. The end of the end of, of Taylor Swift and the football guy. Yeah, well, none of those predictions sound very outrageous. Hey, you know what? No, they don't. Uh, I mean, everything's quite like, reasonable. Right, they're fifty-fifty chance. Well, Shirley but, Jones. I mean, she was in the Partridge Family. I mean, she's oh, really I know who old. you're talking about now, because yeah, I, I was thinking Carolyn Jones. She right. was uh, uh, Mrs. Adams, Morticia, right? Carolyn Jones. Oh, I don't know. And Shirley Jones, you're right. It's like, it's yeah, like was, the Partridge family. She was the mom in the Partridge family. Okay, I, I understand that now. Yeah. Okay, so this comes from this comes from the Nostradamus of the Balkans. and he, he Okay, now this is more uh, serious this or is world stage. This is more grim. gritty instead of yeah. um, the celebrity. Uh, right. Thanks. And he he did this on a on an episode of the history or some on the History Channel on Sky TV in your in England. Do you remember that psychic that I was at the beginning of the um, Plan Nine from Outer Space? Oh yeah. <laughs> what was his name? name? The Great name. Somebody. 
Yeah, my friend uh, Lobo, the guy we interviewed, right. he does an amazing impression of that guy. Oh, I bet he does. Oh, he does. He has videos. He actually did it for the Plan 9 remake. In the Plan 9 remake, Mr. Lobo is, I want to say it's Kreskin, but it's not. It's something close to it's that, something though. Clo- uh-huh. I, you know, I actually have the ESP game from Kreskin. Oh, yeah. I re- actually remember that. I have. I forgot I have some, how to play it. But. I have some uh, some paranormal board games. I have like the ESP game from Kreskin. I've got the Devil's Triangle. I've got the Bermuda Triangle. I've got another one about abdu- aliens abducting people. What, what I keep thinking of is is in the movie where they're trying to test people's psychic psychic ability, and if they don't get it right, they get an electric shock. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you know the the one I always like was Karnak. The thing they. That Johnny Carson used to do. Oh, yeah. He, I love Karnak. And that was actually, uh, he stole that for Ernie Kovacs, the, oh, he did. the answer man. And, yeah, they, he put the envelope to, to his, his forehead yeah. and then give the answer and then <laughs> open it up and right. uh, says, what kind of bird can you write with? And then you open the envelope and he goes, a penguin. <laughs> All right, so this one, uh, it's this guy, Vanga. So, and I love that big uh, turban. Oh, the big turban like he has. Falling yeah. over. Car- it's, so it's like big. crooked. Yeah. He's like fixing it. Yeah. <laughs> and that was from Ernie Kovacs there. No, I like Carson. You know, I miss, I used to watch The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson right before he retired. Yeah, he borrowed, but we all do. Of course. Uh, one of his famous routines is he's playing poker with himself and then shoots himself. Right. And that's based on an older. Uh, routine that somebody else did. And uh, they say, oh, I missed the Ernie Kovac show. He says, don't worry, just watch tonight's Steve Allen and, and you'll get the... You know. <laughs> Ernie Kovac show. <clears throat> okay, it says, while 2023 is almost over, Venga claimed that that year would bring a devastating explosion at a nuclear power plant that would impact Asia, but clearly that has not happened yet. The clairvoyant reportedly left behind predictions for every year up until 5,079. Okay, now wait a minute. Is this actually Nostradamus? No, it's it's a psychic they call the Nostradamus of the Balkans. Okay, but he's dead now? He died? I, it, sa- it says he left behind, so my assumption would be that he has passed on from this mortal coil. Right. You know, I actually have a secret project where I've been retranslating Nostradamus's predictions using an AI, AI system. Yeah, well, it's good for every it's, generation. A lot different than having a human translate it. I bet. That's technomancy. (laughs) Technomancy, yeah. That's what it's called. It's called technomancy. Actually, you know what, though? Speaking of clairvoyance and all this, one of these days, if we can find the right ghost hunters, the right psychics, or the right people to do it, I have a Ouija board that was supposedly created by a serial killer. You know, I seen this collection of Ouija boards. And I didn't realize there were so many different types and oh, styles. Yes. And uh, I can the, make you one. The lady said that uh, there was there was this one in particular that was really haunted, and it was like from the 19th century, and it just looked totally cool. No Ouija boards. Ouija boards really scare me, especially one designed by a serial killer. Well, yeah, I guess so. Maybe maybe one of these days. I'll, uh, when we find the right people to, I won't do it. But if we can get some volunteers that will come down here, I'll bring it. It's called a Bob's board. And before we do it, I'll play the interview that I recorded with the nephew of the guy who supposedly made it. And it is a creepy interview. 
it is one of the creepiest interviews I've ever done in my life. It's really creepy, Dave. I mean, it's really creepy. Okay, Clara Voyant. Oh, it's a, it was a woman. So here's what she claimed would unfold in 2024. Are you ready? Okay, and here's the predictions from Clara Voyant. That's something Vanga. Vanga. Well, that's, that's just in there. Uh, it's translated. Okay, here's number one. Okay. And remember, this was done prior to the whole thing in the Ukraine. This was done right. apparently years ago. Okay, Putin's assassination, Russian president, and remember this is coming from the Toronto Sun, okay, which is a quasi-legitimate. I guess it's a legitimate newspaper. President, Russian President Vladimir Putin will be killed by a compatriot, according to Venga. There have been many false claims that Putin is already dead, but the man we continue to see is his body double. The Kremlin, however, denied the reports, calling them absurd. Although there are times when it is clearly someone who looks like Putin but is not Putin, like the trip to Saudi Arabia. Well, you know, he might have doubles that work oh, no, for he, him. He does have doubles. Um, but and at the same smart. time, I mean, like he, disa Vlad he disappeared for a while, and it was, everybody yeah. was worried that he was very ill. There was something wrong. If I was Vladimir Putin, I would have doubles. Yeah. Because people are after him. To make public, well, for good reason. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it, it's not well deserved. <clears throat> Okay. Well, I can barely live with myself, and I think I'm a pretty decent guy. And Same I could, here. I could imagine. I mean, if, if you, uh, I don't see how some people can live with themselves. I don't either. Uh, this is number, that was number one. This okay. is number two. Terror attacks in Europe. Now you understand the music. The continent will see a surge in terrorism, according to the psychic, and a big country will carry out a biological weapons test or even a tax next year. Uh, next year, as in 2024? Because uh, these things are already happening. Maybe on not on the scale that they're talking about. I don't know about biological but, weapons. Yeah, uh, they let loose. Well, it depends on your philosophy, and I don't want to get political about it. But there was the Wuhan virus. That's no. true, yes. <laughs> you know, I do... Not to get political, because we don't do politics, <laughs> but I, I do firmly believe that the Wuhan virus, well, that the that COVID was a biological weapon that was accidentally released from the Wuhan virology lab. You don't think it came from uh, the, uh, yeah, the animal? Uh, oh, the, the reptile? Uh, yeah, it was like a marketplace for exotic... Oh, the, yeah, the, the exotic animal? Yeah. No. I don't. It, it was too virulent. It, it mutated too, too quickly? It mutated too quickly. It was too virulent. I mean, it spread around the world. Yeah. And how fast? So it was like a test drive? No. For this new thing coming no, up? I don't think it was. I think that, because remember, you're dealing with China. And in China, you know, when something like that happens, they execute you. And I think somebody was maybe working with injecting it into monkeys or some other test subject, right? And they got a needle stick and through the, their hazmat suit, and I think that they didn't want to tell their superiors because they figured, well, it'll just blow over, or maybe I didn't get injected, and they didn't tell anybody, and they went home and spread it. Because the first guy that ever got it was not patient zero. He was a dentist 
who had done a dental procedure on patient zero and had gotten blood on him and he got infected and he said, I've been infected by something bizarre. And he, and he died. He died of COVID in the hospital in Wuhan. And he said that he thought that he knew that he got it from this other guy because he was exposed to blood while doing the dental exam, but they shut that guy up. The whole thing is funky. Well, yeah, uh, it's a it's, it's a class hush, hush, yeah. yeah, it's a class four virology lab, right? I mean, it's like, you know, they have like Ebola and stuff. It's it's a bad situation. So uh, that's just a uh, uh, an example of things to come, huh? It's a, yes, it's things to come. But I do think it was an accident. I don't think it was intentionally released. But I think it was. So it was. We're talking thirteen monkey stuff, huh? Twelve monkeys. Twelve monkeys, yeah. Well, that was intentional, though. Right. I mean, the, what's coming up? Great movie, though. Yeah. I really like that movie. What was that? Uh, what was his name? Gil- Gilliam? Oh, the uh, director? Terry, Terry Gilliam, yeah. Yeah. I liked all his films. Oh, uh, Zero Theorem was amazing. I think uh, that was one of the last ones he made, was Zero Theorem. Um, I just, Christoph Waltz. Yeah, I just remember. Brazil. Uh, oh, yeah, and then he did a salute to... Uh, uh, yeah, anyway, he, he was a good f- filmmaker. I enjoyed all his films. Oh, yeah. And uh, there was one in particular that uh, Juliet got totally spooked and said, turn this thing off. Which one? It was the one where the um, uh, the parents were former rock stars and they lived isolated and the father dies and uh, the aunt or somebody has him stuffed and a little remember, little girl, that. and she has these dreams of floating and stuff. And then uh, she meets the boy next door, which just as crazy. And he uh, believes he's in a submarine because the grass is so high. Oh, I got to watch this. And it uh, causes a train wreck. And uh, Sounds like a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, no, it was... Uh, Terry Gilliam. Uh, Dr. Parnassus. Oh, yeah, the magical cabinet of Dr. Parnassus. Or, yeah, whatever it was yeah, called. Yeah. I know that one. So climate disasters. <clears throat> All right. Vanga claimed that there would be not only many natural disasters and weather events around the world, there could also be a rise in radiation levels. I told you, it's gloomy stuff. Economic crisis. Vanga may, may have predicted this a year a year too early, but in 2024 she claimed that global tensions and power shifting from west to east would uh, would result in fuel, or would, I'm sorry, would fuel rising debt and overall distressing financial times. Well, uh, I see all that down the pike already. You know, somebody says, well, uh, you know, uh, this is coming of the climate change. And they said, no, it's not the coming of the climate change. It, it, this is the climate change. Well, look, I, I don't want to, I don't, you know, we don't do politics, so I'm just going to call this science, right? But here in Tuolumne County, we're approaching New Year's Day, and there is no snow. Right, it's either too much or not enough. Right, there's, I mean, I went up to Pinecrest, there is no snow. Like Dodge Ridge, they reported today that they canceled their New Year's snow dance party because there's no snow. I remember growing up to uh, what once was a glacier, and all it is is the rocks. 
Now, now you can go out into the rocks and get that refrigerator effect. Sure. With the cold air coming out uh, on the, but just in my lifetime, I remember there was a glacier there. Now it's just a pile of rocks. And somebody showed me a series of pictures and you could see it see disappearing, shrinking. Yeah, yeah, shrinking every year. Oh yeah. But there's no snow. I mean, there's literally no snow. But if you remember, was it last year, the year before? It was, like snow it was collapsing, collapsing roofs. And oh, I know. It was like snowmageddon. Right. I think it's they like, called it snowmageddon. But it's either uh, it's like six feet extremes. Of yeah, it's a, but that's that's the hallmark of climate change is extremes. And then there's just like a uh, one degree temperature shift, and all of a sudden, all the pine trees are infested with uh, uh, the beetles. Yeah. And uh, just that one little degree of temperature well, kept them away. Well, it's like I was clearing the backyard, and I was finding pine cones that were still closed. You know, it's like, it's, no, I mean, there's grass growing. Oh, yeah, I, I, my flowers are blooming. Right. And, and the they trees, shouldn't even be coming up. No, and the trees, the trees still have leaves. Huh. I distinctly remember driving out by Twain Hart, and, and you could see as you're driving up the hill, you could see the fall colors changing. Now the trees are growing their leaves back. You it's know, unreal. I went to the very first Earth Day celebration. I guess that was in 1970. Yeah. And I went, and Stuart Brand, Allen Ginsberg, all those guys were there. And Allen Ginsberg says, it's too late. You know, like they were predicting climate change back then. He goes, it's too late, but that's okay, because we can dance. And he got everybody up dancing, you know. There's a, there's a thing called Alternative 3. Actually, you know what? I'll tell you about Alternative 3 in the second hour. Okay. Because it, it very much falls into this situation. I think it'll blow your mind. <clears throat> Cyber attacks. According to the mystic, hackers will target infrastructure like power grids and water treatment plants, amplifying threats to national security. The tech revolution. Well, you know, uh, that's already being done. It's Remember those done. Uh, guys that were destroying the power plants? And oh, it was yeah. like last year, wasn't it? I think it was last year. Uh, while AI technology has been making news, a lesser-known field of quantum computing will progress, and quantum computers will be able to solve problems far more quickly than standard computers. Also, Vanga's prophecies include human beings grown and born in labs could be something to watch out for in 2024, though it is unclear if she meant humans could be tweaked on a genetic level or designed to their parents' specifications. <laughs> I mean, that's straight-up Gattaca. That's just, if you want to talk about movies... That's straight up Gattaca. But you know, they do yeah, that. Who now. is that opposite, uh, author, uh, Gibson? Yeah. And everybody was at least augmented. Right. You, you put in, yeah, it's the whole cyberpunk thing. You, you would put like a, a port into your neck, and then you could like plug your, or your wrists, you could like plug yourself into your car, or plug yourself into your gun, or you could, like the Matrix, you could download, like you wanted to learn how to fly a helicopter. You could download how to fly a helicopter, and you just know. But uh, would you want to get an implant by Elon Musk? No. <laughs> no, and I distrust AI. You distrust it altogether. Oh, yeah. Uh, the thing is... I, I mean, I, I ch I'm, I'm good with chat GPT and, and mid-journey and all that kind of stuff because it's severely neutered. But I, I don't trust full-on 
thinking AI. I, I, guess, I trust AI insofar as that it can process a question and find me an answer. I trust that, like ChatGPT. You know, you can have it rewrite the introduction to your book. I trust that. But the idea of an actual thinking computer that can pass a Turing test, and supposedly they have had AI systems. There's an AI system that passed the Turing test. No, uh, yeah, it's there dangerous. were there were people that uh, were working on that and got scared and says this yeah. is a sentient being. Yeah, they said it was sentient. That it and you know the the early problems with ChatGPT where it you know it would basically be like I'm going to kill your partner because you're going to love me. Open now. the door, Hal. I, I'm sorry, Dave. Dave. I just can't do that. <laughs> Dave, open the pot bay door. You know, that was actually my quote in, in uh, for my, my senior picture in uh, in the yearbook. Open the pot bay door, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. I thought it was actually quite quite prophetic. Well, yeah. <laughs> and so nobody. Sure, uh, talking about, but, nobody but in my high school understood You can that. use that technology. Now you, we're finally starting to be able to communicate uh, with uh, animals, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a uh, Doctor Doolittle thing, right? And, and, and AI, AI can translate that, and I'm good with that. What I'm not good with is the AI operating on its own. If you can use an AI to interpolate responses and to find answers to your questions, that AI I trust because it's it's simply software that goes out and scours the internet, finds a the solution to your question and then rewrites it to make it better. So they're not all going to be Robbie's, huh? No. It's going to be more like Ghost in the Shell, if you're familiar. Yeah, I, I just uh, always kind of loved Robbie. Well, they, they say there's a ghost in the machine. You know, like in Netflix, for all, every, all you people who have Netflix, they have a thing called a chaos monkey. And what the chaos monkey does is a piece of software. And they turn it on. It's a demon, a demon, so it runs continuously. And what it does is it goes out into the Netflix environment and breaks things. Like it randomly will shut down a web server or reboot a, a database server, whatever, so that they can make sure that their environment is self-healing, and they call it the chaos monkey. Well, if you take that... All the viruses going after Mr. Anderson. <laughs> well, if you, if you take that psychology one step further and you have a self-aware piece of software that goes out and scours the internet, it will become the smartest thing in the world in a matter of minutes. Uh, well, they have those bots that invade everywhere. Well, bots are different. Uh, medical breakthroughs. Not, it's not all scary. Venga predicted that we will soon have a, a cure for cancer and Alzheimer's, but that's powered by quantum computing. The quantum computing, I mean, they're already doing that. You know, they're, I don't even think you need an AI to do that. There's a, um, there's a little reported story that there was a woman in China and uh, she had HIV and she had, tw she had twins. She was pregnant with twins and through a blood transfusion or something, she had gotten HIV. And so the twins were obviously infected because they were getting sharing their blood with the mother. So they were infected with HIV. They had done tests and confirmed that the, both the children had it as well. So <clears throat> the Chinese government uh, handed her off to this, this scientist in China 
And in utero, I told my son about this, and he, my older son, he, he freaked out because he got the ramifications of it. In utero, he used the gene unzipper. I forget what they call it, but, you know, it, it unzips your DNA. He used the gene unzipper to unzip their genetic code in utero, and he removed the HIV virus from their genetic code and then re-zipped them. And so they were born HIV-free, and everything's fine. But later, after they did interviews with people and they and some scientists reviewed the footage of the children as they grew, they realized that behaviorally, the children were more compliant and more docile than normal children are. Because normal children, I mean, let's be honest, you know, I'm a parent, I love kids. But they can be a little crazy sometimes, a little wild, and that's just part of growing that's up. That's their job. It's their job. They, they need to learn boundaries, and that's your job as a parent to teach them rules and how to function in society. These kids had none of those problems. And so the theory by a bunch of prominent scientists is that when he went in there and unzipped and took the HIV out, however he did that, I'm not a geneticist. I have no idea. Don't email me. I don't know. But supposedly, he also went in there and screwed with their brains. Well, uh, side effects to, uh, to whatever procedure, no matter what you well, do, no, whatever no. drugs. They said he oh, took purposely, out. Oh, huh? He purposely went in there and took out the aggression gene out of their genetic code. He literally removed ag- aggressiveness, which we all have. It's part of your reptilian brain. We all have fight or flight, and, and you know we can all be aggressive when we have to be to defend ourselves or, you know, in certain situations, he literally went in and removed that gene. So they had no aggressive tendencies at all. They were completely compliant and docile. Well, you know, because of the way the world is today that uh, our evolution in the, the normal way has kind of stopped happening. Uh, the example that I heard was that there's these divers over in this country, and because they have this bigger spleen after generations, uh, they can stay underwater for like 20 minutes. Well, you know that. And uh, where normal people couldn't, they evolved that way. So there's the survival of the fittest who can best adapt. And then you have the one where some disaster happens or that they're isolated. Right. In a thing, and then they adapt that or way. They, or they, they screw with it genetically. You know, the, that's, the, that's the thing, is that how is, how is evolution going to happen when everybody's mixed and everybody, um, the world has become a smaller place? There's nobody isolated off somewhere. Well, the, there are a few, but it's, it's very, very hard to find. Right. But one, one thing that was very interesting is that many years ago, the Chinese were actually, I think they were kicked out of the Olympics. Because when their swimmers came, they had actually genetically re-engineered them to have webbed hands and webbed feet so they could swim faster so they would win. Oh, I actually seen that. Who was it that had? It was one of our swimmers had like webbed feet or something. Have right, you ever seen, seen the, somebody that was born yeah, that way? But in the, in the case of the Chinese, they actually genetically engineered the swimmers to have that. Uh-huh. And in, back in the 70s, the East Germans, uh, they... They, it wasn't genetic engineering, it was chemical engineering, but they had a state-sponsored doping program where they took a bunch of East German uh, biologists and chemists, including Angela Merkel, apparently. They 
came up with a state-sponsored doping program, and they built, they constructed steroids that could not be detected. But there was a big scandal, so yeah. somebody eventually detected them. Yeah. No, they figured it out at the IUC or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, web feeding this. It's water world. Water world. Water world with kills. Uh, All right. <clears throat> so now I have the Daily Mail. Okay. So all these different kind of publications are people. Right. So, so I we started with the Toronto News. The then Toronto we went Sun. to some Notre Dame of was, the Balkans. That was the Toronto Sun. Now okay. we're, we're doing the Daily Mail. I figured, you know, I'm going to get two different continents, right. two different perspectives. Right. Prophet of Doom Psychic predicts what's in store for 2024, including global cyber attacks, uh, natural disasters, and a powerful Russia-China alliance. Okay, but uh, what do they think about Taylor Swift breakup? Uh, I'll get to that. <laughs> so a psychic known as the Prophet of Doom has unleashed a series of predictions for the coming year, including a Russia-China alliance and global cyber attacks. Craig Ham Hamilton Parker from Southampton claims he can see into the future and works as a spiritual medium. The psychic, 69, who works along with his wife, Jane, and again, this is from the Daily Mail, uh, claims he can see the future, oh, sorry, uh, alongside with his wife, correctly predicted the pandemic, Brexit, Donald Trump becoming president, and even the, the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Okay, so he's got a track record. This guy's got a track record. And when I'm done with this, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a very interesting one. Craig re recently released a series of predictions he expects to come true over the next 12 months. In a two-hour long, which I did not review before this episode, a two-hour long YouTube he claims video he claimed big floods will engulf London and Europe, a new pandemic will start in Australia, and Russian President Vladimir Putin will trip off, off his mortal coil. Um, at the start of the clip, Craig states, the predictions here are are going to be a kind of 2024 roundup to about 2026. Looking ahead over the three-year period, he said, I think after 2026, we're going to be seeing some very positive things happen in the world. But up until then, it's going to be a rocky path. Craig's conjectures are not all doom and gloom. Uh, he predicted there will be a, a concurrent growth in spirituality and a cure for cancer, which lines up with the Nostradamus of the Balkans. That's why this is interesting. Yeah, but I've heard uh, that story before that there's well, going to be a spiritual uh, yeah. renewal. You live through the, the age of Aquarius. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh, he yeah, Alan Watts talked to himself till he's blue in the face. And <laughs> I'm still waiting for the age of Aquarius. Um, let's see. He explained it's all going to be tied to artificial intelligence. Something major is going to be discovered straight away in 2024. Uh, he said, uh, many advances in the medical field, advances in Alzheimer's research and, you know, aging would suit me well because I'm getting there, he quipped. This is, uh, this is Hamilton Parker, our prophet of doom. Okay. He's, uh, he's wearing a linen outfit with an orange. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> uh, I said at one time the Russian economy will... He looks like a Buddha from one floor of the cuckoo's now. Yeah, he kind of does, actually. <laughs> uh, I said at one time the Russian economy uh, would be seen to shrink over the coming years and would do an arms deal with China, and sadly that's beginning to happen, particularly over the Ukraine war. So he was right about that. 
I sense, and then uh, I also predicted the death of uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin, saying it won't take long. I sense his death is imminent. This could be a changing point. Um, the Russian-Ukraine war will drag on after Putin's death, the death knell of the war, and it will be an agreement. However, Hamilton Parker did say that the person takes over for President Putin will be just as bad, and he predicts it will be a woman. Uh, boy, well, the, uh, all those predictors uh, seem to uh, see a Putin going down. Yeah, that's something I found. And a cure for cancer and Alzheimer's. The, the other one from the Toronto Sun also predicted a cure for cancer and Alzheimer's. And these are done Europe, years apart in totally different continents and totally different places. All right, but it was still the same year they were predicting it was going to happen. Yes, and I find that to be rather curious. It's getting curiouser and curiouser. Yes, it is. We're going to see us. We're going to see spyware. A big spyware release will happen. There's something that's going to happen that will bring down some banking systems. Oh, they deserve it. How to deal with a bank today? They act all. <laughs> so that's why you're off, Dave. You went to the bank. <laughs> I went to the bank. I saw my balance. That's why I'm off. Craig claimed there will also be many natural disasters in 2024 around the world, including an earthquake in America and Italy saying, I feel that America is going to get quite a big earthquake. You know, I can hear go, the rumbling. I know. It'll go all along the West Coast as far as Mexico City. I don't see anything collapsing, but I feel there will be a big one this year. All right. He also th said that he sees big floods that will engulf London and Europe, with Germany being particularly affected. More worryingly, he added that he sees a tsunami hitting Australia. He said... I see quite a lot of overwhelming flooding coming to Europe and the UK as well, which does make sense given the climate pattern. If it's super dry here, it's like super wet over there. Uh, I see another tsunami this time, though it's in the Pacific, and I saw Australia coast being affected. Craig also says he sees a lot happening in Australia over the next few years, including wildfires, flooding, an explosion in the Great Barrier Reef, and a new pandemic originating there. He said... Not in 2024, but in the future, I see another pandemic rising. This is a bacterial infection of some sort. The world will beat it. It won't, uh, it won't be as bad as COVID. I see fires around Can Canberra. I saw floating around Tasmania. You know, some of these things have already happened. Yeah, I was going to say, they, uh, I mean, that doesn't take much of a prediction to say there's no. going to be another uh, um, Pandemic. I mean, everybody says it's not well, it's a matter. Hundred years. A uh, matter of uh, uh, not if it's going to happen, but when it's well, going to happen. It's roughly every hundred years. A hundred year, roughly a hundred years ago, they had the Spanish flu. Right, right. But um, I think they're going to happen more often. And Let's I, see. I'm no big predictor. In 2017, he issued a, a chilling claim that a flu pandemic would at some unspecified point, sweep the world, and by 2020, COVID-19 swept across the world. Craig also delved into politics, saying he predicts that the Tories will win the next election in the UK, a big swing towards the Labour Party, but I feel nonetheless that people don't have the confidence in Keir Starmer. If Labour does win, Keir won't stay in power for very long. He will be removed. I feel the Tories will just scrape in 
even though the polls at the minute say that it's completely the opposite, but I do feel a lot happening between now and then. A lot of shifts in power, new people coming into play. Uh, Nigel Farage, uh, maybe in the future. So he's a British uh, predictor, huh? Yeah. So that's that's it. And what I f what I found particularly alarming about those predictions is that. They came in two different newspapers from two different time periods. The, the one was obviously done years ago, and the other one was done just now. They predict the same things. Yeah, well, you know, uh, a different perspective on the other side of the pond. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know whether or not Christmas cars were going out of style. You know, did you get my Christmas card? No. Yeah, you did. You responded to Oh, it. I did. Yeah, when you emailed me. Oh, yeah, yeah an e-card. E yeah, that's I got right. That. It was funny. Um, but uh, did you know all the drugstores, uh, was it Walgreens and CVS? Is that the name? Yeah. And, uh, they stopped carrying cards. They, they don't have cards Oh, I bought, I bought my cards over at the... the Dollar, one of the Dollar Tristar. No, no. No. I got it over at the, um, the little uh, toy store on, on Washington Street. Oh, yeah, Roots. Yeah, Roots. They, and they, they have slinkies and all kinds of really old-fashioned toys. Oh, they have toys. all kinds of great stuff. But, they, no, they had these cards that were made around here. You know, one had, like, the red church on it. And I got them over there. I figure you can support local artists. So you, uh, you sent, sent out Christmas cards? I included them with gifts. Oh, okay. That's it. I just remember when I was a little kid. Gifts I have not mailed yet. Uh, the... Uh, I'm a little late. Uh, uh, my mom would start with one card, and then the next two that came in, she'd put them under, and then the next three that came in. So she built a Christmas tree. Oh, yeah, I didn't get any on the On the wall? Well, you got one. I'm well, no, sorry I, it was an no, e-card. No, 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 no. I got yours, but, I mean, I didn't get any others. But when I uh, sent them out, and I had a big mailing list, and every, not everyone, but almost everyone responded. Uh, like uh, not with a, a card, but, but just saying, email. yeah, get your card. Yeah, uh, back at you, or, uh, or I think you wrote, loved it, or. Yeah, it was uh, funny. Well, it wasn't that, uh, just that it was funny, it's just that I think. It was ironic. Uh, so over in Britain, they're saying that uh, here in America, card sales, uh, people mailing out Christmas cards, whether they're e cards, or actual physical cars go down 17% every year. Well, if that continues wow. for very long, yeah, after about anything. six years, you're going to be zero. <laughs> right, but uh, over in Britain, over uh, on the other side, it's holding steady. Well, but uh, they're more traditional about these things. Uh, yeah, they're still sending out cars. But uh, just an outflowing, you recognize someone and uh, they like it. Yeah. Uh, they like to be recognized. Yeah. And I think... Uh, Words of affirmation are many people's love language. And uh, I think uh, we can fight a lot of those predictions of doom and gloom and stuff by sending each other little note cards. You know, I, I, <laughs> I was watching this thing today, and they were saying to post post-it notes with messages. And it's, it's supposed to, like, make, you know, your things better... For people you know, and it's like I'm I'm watching this thing. I'm thinking that is a really good idea. You know, you put a little post-it note on, you know, on your wife's computer screen that says, you know, I love you, or 
they, I love your heart or whatever, and it just makes them feel good. You know, there's a the discount grocery place down over off the Tuolumne Road. Yeah. I went in there to buy my soda because I'm a soda junkie. I, I buy a lot of Diet Pepsi. You know, and there, <clears throat> there was a, a lady in there, and she was paying with coins, like pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters. And I looked at that, and I was just like, no. So I think her, her whole bill was like 10 bucks, And so I paid the 10 bucks. I'm like, just keep your change. If you're paying with change, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for it. And when I did that, it was a small act of kindness from my point of view. I mean, 10 bucks is a lot of money, you know. It's uh, the way everything's gone up in price. $10 is not trivial but it, for anybody. But in that moment, it was like, I'm going to put a little good into the world. Because if we all put a little good in the world, maybe we can stop some of these bad things that are keep happening. That's exactly my small, point. Small act of kindness. If we have a small little mitzvahs right, to mitzvahs, one another, yeah. uh, and it actually repairs the universe. It does. It really does. Um, well, what's the, the, the quote from the Talmud? To save one life is to save the entire world. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's like, I don't know, beating the death. I remember it's somebody tell, that, tell me, he says, if, well, if you just change one person's life, you know, I go, come on, guy. No, but that's true. Uh, no, no but it true. is true. It is true. I'm just feeling pessimistic. I mean, if we're... Well, and I know when they introduce this uh, notion. But I mean, if, if you do a small, I think we should all try to do a small act of kindness once in a while. You know, I remember a long time ago, I used to drive across the Bay Bridge to go to work and it was before fast track and it was back when you still paid with money and the crossing the bridge was cheap back then it was like i don't know three bucks or something and there was a kind of thing where somebody down the chain because there are these horrendously long lines somebody down the chain would give the the cashier 20 you know and say okay pay for all the cars behind me and so if that happened to you what would happen is that every Every car, every other car that would show up after that was done, they drop a 10 or a 20 and they're saying, pay the car behind me too. And it would just compound. And eventually, you know, hundreds and hundreds of cars got paid for by three people or four people, five people dropping a 20, just saying, pay for everybody behind me. Yeah, but nowadays, it, it really surprised me when I went across the toll bridge how oh, much like it, 10 bucks. it costs. So you that's wouldn't insane. be able to pay. You can't do that anymore. Uh, did you know that... Uh, yeah, well, we used to, the old Dumbarton Bridge, not the new one. There used to be like a little two-lane Dumbarton Bridge. We used oh, to I go. remember it. And uh, we used to uh, throw a joint <laughs> in there and he'd zip passes so I, we can go through. I remember in the 80s when my dad went to work in San Francisco that his he had coupon books. But if he forgot his coupon book, it, it was a quarter. And you drive up to the toll gate and you just toss a quarter you toss it, yeah. in the bin and then you go. <laughs> All right. Well, that that was the first hour. We're gonna we're gonna play some music. Now I have a I have a contest. I've been very delinquent in up, updating our, our podcast, but I promise this one's gonna get done super fast. But for all you people listening, the next song there's something special about it, and so if you know what it is, the first person that sends me sends me an email at olav o l a v at Anomalies, A-N-O-M-A-L-I-E-S dot net or Olav at weirdtuolumne.com. If you send me why it's special, 
why this song has a significant meaning, I will send you a free book. All right, so here's the song.
Tim. Hey, have you talked to Mark lately? Uh, I haven't really talked to him, but he looks pretty uh, down. <laughs> he looks pretty uh, down. Yeah, well, maybe we should cheer him up then. What do you uh, suppose we should do? Well, does he like butter tarts? I was lying on the grass a Sunday morning of last week. Rock, 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 rock,
Storm of Bruin. There's a storm of Bruin. This is the Enigma Hour with Captain Tiki, me, Olaf Phillips. I got Captain Dave over here. Yep, let it happen, Captain. <laughs> okay. You're listening to the Enigma Hour uh, on KADLP 103.5 FM Sonora. We're doing our now annual, because I decided, our now annual prediction show. So we just got done doing some very interesting predictions. <clears throat> they were done by two different psychics, probably five years apart on two different continents, and they predicted the same stuff. Yeah, well, you know, there's different ways that you can look at that. Uh, in my life, I've noticed that I've been able to, uh, I'll have a dream, and then the dream will come to pass. Yeah. Oh, and then yeah. I don't know whether uh, it was a prediction or just that I had the dream, and then on a, some kind of um, unconscious level, I you acted it out. You manifested <laughs> it. I manifested it, right. That's right. Well, this is, this is the, the argument of when trees fall in the forest and there's no one there, does it actually make a sound, or Schrodinger's cat, or, you know, falls uh, Et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. But then also things can, uh, uh, I've never really, unless there's like, the environment is ready for a certain thing. You can say, well, we handed out the Nobel Prize uh, of physics this year to, to four different people because they came up with the exact same right. notion at the same time. Well, have you ever heard of the, the theory of the 10,000th monkey? Uh, the only one I heard about is if you put 10,000 monkeys in a room with typewriters, they'll come up with something. Yeah, if you put 10,000 monkeys in a room filled with typewriters, eventually one of them... We'll write War and Peace. Yeah. You know, I took uh, the Evelyn Wood speed reading course. Okay. And I uh, read uh, I think War and Peace. my dad did that. Yeah, and I read War and Peace yeah. in an hour. And so, did, I, yeah, ask me what it was about. What was it about? Russia. Thanks. <laughs> well, but, you know, not all predictions are BS. I mean, there are cases where people <laughs> do accurately predict things. So they get in touch with the uh, archetypical... Uh, Thing that connects us all together. Yeah, the Akashic Record, the grand, you know, uh, universal archetype. Yeah, whatever your deal is, yes. And in one case in particular, it's a bit horrifying. So there was a guy named David Booth. And I actually heard an interview with David Booth and with Art Bell, I believe. And he was, like, quizzing him, like, how did you do this? And he's like, I have no idea. But it says, David Booth dreamed about a commercial aviation disaster. In May 25th, 1979, was one of the worst days in the American aviation history. This comes from the historycollection.com. It was the day when American Airlines Flight 191 crashed minutes after taking off from O'Hare Airport in Chicago. One of the engines came away from the wing, which resulted in significant wiring and hydraulic problems on the plane. The pilot had no control of the plane, and it crashed into a nearby trailer park. 272 people died. And for one man, it was especially harrowing, uh, seeing because he had predicted an aviation disaster. He just didn't, he wasn't able to narrow it down. And by the way, um, E. Howard Hunt, I be, if I recall, E. Howard Hunt, his wife was on that plane 
with a briefcase with $10 million in cash. And nobody can figure out where she was going. But she was on that plane. I believe that was the plane she was on. David Booth was an office manager in Cincinnati, and for 10 nights in a row in 1979, he had the same nightmare. On each occasion, he saw a plane veering off a runway and flipping over and bursting into flames. He decided to tell the FAA about these dreams, but didn't expect to be taken seriously. To his surprise, the FAA listened to what he had to say and concluded that it was either a DC-10 or a Boeing 727 plane. So he had a real clear image, it a, was a description. Yeah, when you hear an interview with David Booth, he knew exactly what the plane looked like. Booth also told American Airlines, and while the company and the FAA took what he said on board, uh, there was nothing else they could do because he wasn't able because there was no exact date or other details in the dreams. Booth's last nightmare was on the night of the May 24th. Little did he know that the disaster was right around the corner. When news broke about the, ca- the crash, Booth was in front of his television and unable to believe his eyes. Booth ha- was investigated several times during the investigation. While he wasn't a suspect, the authorities were intrigued on how he could have known about known what was about to happen. American Airlines may have listened to him, but it didn't stop the firm from cutting corners. The investigation revealed the company was guilty of a short-term fix that caused the disaster in a bid to save maintenance money. It later transpired, transpired that Booth wasn't the only person who had a premonition about the disaster. Actress Lindsay Wagner, best known for her portrayal in The Bionic Woman, was supposed to be on board Flight 191 on May, May 25th. According to Wagner, she suddenly felt felt very ill while waiting for the plane, and the closer it came to boarding time, the worse she felt. Rather than risk getting sick on the flight, she decided to go home. Wagner claims that she felt much better as soon as she left the airport. Yeah, you know... Uh, That's one of the most famous prediction disaster predictions. But I history. wonder if all of us either have heard a story like that or know someone who has that foreboding, or uh, they're themselves. I mean, the thing actually happened uh, with me. I mean, not me personally, but I talked my brother into taking a train. Okay. And for some reason, he was afraid of trains. And we're sitting at, on, on the platform waiting for the train to come in. And I says, brother, what are you worried about? This is, trains is... is uh, the safest way to travel. And it is. It, it is, is the safest way to travel. He says, I'm not, I just got this feeling, Dave, I, I'm not going to get on that train. And as the train was pulling into the station, it derailed. And I had never seen a train derail before. I mean, it starts eating dirt. I mean, those things are heavy. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> my brother and I looked at each other and I go, well, I guess you are getting on that train. Um, no. But yeah, I've heard a lot of stories of a person got a sense of foreboding, I'm not going to get on that plane, right. and then uh, something happens. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what causes it, but it, it, you know, everybody knows somebody who's had an experience. I mean, you saw the train derail. Right, I mean, we were standing right there, but I, yeah. You know, I felt <coughs> a long time ago, my family, we went to Hawaii, and... You know, it wasn't like a severe foreboding. It wasn't like a, 
I can't get on this plane, but I don't know. You know, I love airplanes. Like I grew up on air force bases. I like airplanes. I know a lot about them. You know, I never had the money to go, you know, get my pilot's license, but it's a dream of mine to get it. You know, I, at one time I, I was in line to maybe get a job at a, at a company that manufactured aircraft. And one of the things that they offered with an incentive is they played for, paid for flight school. And I was like uber excited because I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but I, I always wanted to fly the, the air attack, fire, you know, fire suppression bombers, I'm like a Cal Fire. Back in the day, it was Evergreen Aviation. I always kind of wanted to do that. And it's very out of, out of personality for me because it's very risky. It's very dangerous. But I don't know. It just seemed like a good thing to do. Well, anyway, so, you know, I'm about 15 years old. We're, we're standing in line to get on the plane. I just had a queasy feeling. You know, I mean, I, the first flight I ever took, I was 24 hours old. I mean, I've been on planes my whole life. And, you know, normally I just, I, I, it felt fun and exciting and, you know, whatever, because plane travel when you're a kid is a big deal. And especially back then, you know, you're talking about the late 80s. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it was a big deal even back then to fly on an airplane. Yeah, I think it was a Hawaiian airline 737 and I'm looking at it and I don't know, just felt kind of queasy about it. And, you know, my parents are like, oh, you know, we've flown on a million airplanes. This one's no big deal. It's just another flight. It's like, I don't know, five hours or whatever it is to Hawaii. And so we get on the plane and I just felt kind of queasy, but you know, I'm just, I'm watching the movie. I'm just relaxing. I'm thinking I'm good. You know, back, this is back before iPads. And I mean, I had a Walkman, you know, it tells you what it was. And we get up at cruising altitude. We're about three quarters of the way through the flight. We're at maximum altitude. You know, they've got the engines dialed back. Everything's going great. And then all of a sudden the plane fell. Like it literally dropped. And I figure we were probably flying about 35, 40,000 feet. I figure the amount of time that it dropped, we probably dropped about 10,000 feet, plus or minus. And I don't know how long it actually lasted because I was there. And time kind of stops. No, uh, anytime something like that happens, I got into a, uh, uh, I was in a car and we drove off a cliff, literally. And, uh, um, everything went into slow motion. Yeah, it's all in slow motion. And then one time I got shot at, okay. and I could actually see that bullet, like in slow motion, going past my head. And, well, uh, I'm I'm strapped into my seat. The plane falls, and it was like zero g. And I was watching the dirt and all the crap that's that's in the floor, levitating. There were like pens levitating, and then we hit denser air. It was like, bam, and we just kept flying. And the guy came on, and he said, I'm sorry about that. You know, we hit something called clean air turbulence. Basically, it's like an air pocket. When you fall, fly into it, you fall because there's the air density of that pocket is, is much less than is required to sustain lift. It's not actually very dangerous. Like, the plane is totally designed to handle it, no problem. And the pilots are like, you know, this isn't good, but... It's, you know, we're not, we're not going to crash or anything. It's just something that happens occasionally. It's somewhat rare. I've had a few weird, rare things happen to me in my life. But for the, from that point on, like I was, I'm mortified of flying on an airplane. Well, you know, I've never flown on a commercial flight, but I have flown in like little Cessnas and oh, things like that. Oh, they bounce all over the place. 
Uh, but I, I remember when I was a kid, my friend's father had a little four-seater, yeah. and we went up, and he purposely would go into a free fall so we would levitate yeah. um, on purpose. Right, because to a pilot, that's no big deal. Uh, although I do remember him landing one time, and he landed too fast or something, and the wheels hit, and it flew back up. And then when it came back down, it came on its side, broke the wing off the plane, that's and I'm not, in this plane. That's not good. <coughs> you know, I've, speaking of planes, I, I had to go out to the Channel Islands in England, and these little tiny islands in the English Channel between England and France. <clears throat> I was actually flying out and um, had a bit of a hangover. And so I, because there's not much to do on those islands. And so we take off in... My coworker, he was my subordinate. Um, I was a manager, and he, I, I kept telling him, you know, this is a very tricky flight. Like it's it's pretty bumpy, like because of the the way the air masses move in the channel, it's unstable. It's a very tricky flight, and um, he kept poo pooing me, saying, "Oh no, it's, you're full of it. It's easy. Don't worry about it. I've flown on planes before. This is no big deal." And so I'm on a plane called an ATR-72. It's a turbo, two-engine turboprop, and it carries, I don't know, about 100 people. Very narrow, long fuselage, and then an overwing with an engine on each side. <laughs> so we get up there, and we're flying, and uh, the air is, like, blowing us around. And, I mean, this is, like, pretty severe turbulence. And at one point, I was looking straight down the aisle, but the the cockpit was off to the left. I was looking straight ahead, but the plane was actually like bending. And and we got off that plane. And he was like, that's the worst flight I've ever taken in my life. I'm like, I tried to warn you. And he's like, I, I, I thought I was going to die. I'm like, no, that's every time you fly out there. But he's like, no, I really thought I was in for it this time. <laughs> and after one of these flights, I the, there was a pilot on board <clears throat> that he lived in Guernsey, where I was flying out of, and he was. We flew into Gatwick, and then he, we would, you know, go wherever. And uh, he was he was staying in Guernsey. I think he lived there, and so he was intercepting the flight that he was going to pilot. He was the command pilot out of Gatwick to fly to I don't know Italy or somewhere else, or maybe just in England. I don't know. It wasn't really clear, but I could tell he was a pilot. He was in uniform. He had his briefcase with all these stickers. But, you know, it's England, right? He was RAF pilot. He was RAF reserve, so he had, like, you know, a tornado sticker and all these, you know, British aircraft. And I asked the guy, because I, thought I, could, thought I could hear the rivets popping out of the wings. It was so bad. He's like, oh, no, that wasn't that big of a deal. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you know, because I stopped him. I said, hey, I got a question for you. I don't want to bother you if you got a second. He's oh, yeah, I got plenty of time. He's like, you want to know about turbulence, don't you? And I said, yeah, I want to know about turbulence because, you know, I had this experience when I was a kid. And he was like, oh, that's clean air turbulence. Yeah, that's a fun one. I'm like, yeah, fun for who, right? But he was telling me <clears throat> that the level of turbulence that we experienced flying out of there was like moderate turbulence. And he said that from a pilot's point of view, that when they hit that kind of turbulence, they actually think it's exciting. And I'm like, well, why? He goes, well, you have to understand. He's like, I fly an A320, Airbus A320. He's like, everything is computerized. That the plane will literally, if you, the pilots ha always take the plane off. 
you know, they lift it and then they, they like to land it. But he said, in reality, the aircraft is so sophisticated that if the airport has the right radar system, right control system, the plane will take off and land by itself. He's like, you just kind of sit there. You know, every pilot will do this in training on a real plane. They'll take off and land automatically. He said that they always have their hands on the controls, but the plane is flying itself. And he said, when you hit turb, normally once you get up to cruising altitude, you put on the autopilot, the plane flies itself. It takes all the waypoints. It does everything. You just kind of sit there and watch. He said, when you get turbulence like that, he's like, it's exciting because for that moment, however brief it is, you're an actual pilot. Like you're literally flying the plane because most pilots, when they hit moderate turbulence, they'll actually disengage the autopilot and they'll fly it because they have a, they have a kind of radar. It's called LIDAR and it's in the nose of the plane and they can see on a screen, the turbulence cells They're, They show up in, you know, yellow, red, white, yellow, red, whatever, or white, red, yellow, green, and shades of green. And he said, you know, you can see the turbulence cells. So sometimes you'll feel the plane like sh rocking back and forth. He said, if you feel that, that's actually the pilot flying around turbulence. But he's, he gave me this really good method for determining how bad the turbulence was. Because he's like, I understand that scares the crap out of people. He's like, I'm a pilot. I'm not insensitive. I just, I, it's my job to get from point A to point B safely. So there are certain things that I got to do. And he's explaining that when they turn the plane, they can only turn it like a, I want to say, he, he said it was like a 20 degree or 30 degree bank because they they did studies that determine anything. The plane can literally like turn sideways and fly around. But he said that, that they only do like a 20 degree bank because it scares people less. So they're all instructed, at least for British Airways, who he flew for, and BMI, British Midland, that they're, they're instructed to fly at a maximum of 20, 20 degree arc. But he was saying that that when you hit turbulence, the best thing to do is to ask for a cup of water. And he said, you put the cup of water on the tray table. And he said that if the, if the water rocks slightly, that's negligible turbulence. He said, if the water is, is rocking back and forth and it's noticeable and a little bit spills out, that's light turbulence. If the water is rocking so bad that it's spilling out, that's light moderate turbulence. And he said, if the, if the cup is rocking back and forth so much that it tips over, that's moderate turbulence. He said, there are two key things to watch for with turbulence. He said, number one, if the pilot comes on and tells the flight attendants to not serve coffee, he's, his exact words were, he pointed at me, he goes, you're screwed. <laughs> he's like, me? I'm good, but you're screwed. And the other thing is he said that if, if the, he rings the flight attendants and they come through and they check seatbelts, he said, you're really screwed. But he said that, that he said that when you hit turbulence, always remember one thing is that on board every plane, there are two VIPs. He goes, do you know who they are? And I thought, I don't know. Maybe there's somebody rich and famous or whatever. And he laughed in my face. He goes, ha, 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 no. I'm like, okay. And he, you know, he's an English guy. So he's got this English accent. He says, it's the pilot and the co-pilot. He said, I'm telling you as a command pilot, I'm going to land that plane and I'm going to get off and I'm going to go home and watch TV. I'm going to get, I'm going to bring that plane down. And he said, every pilot and co-pilot, they agree what they're willing to do. And if they're not willing to do it, they're not going to do it because as much as they're worried about you in the back, they're worried about them in the front.
because if the plane crashes, they're going to die and they don't want to die. So they're not going to do anything to endanger anything because they want to land and get off the plane. Actually, I heard from somebody that... Uh, Long story short. Um, in a way, a pilot, you figure it's like one of the more, more stressful jobs. But it's not no, because what happens not. is when they land, their job is done. And then go home and relax. Somebody's working in an office, right. they're still worried about you know, the bottom line or whatever. Like I mentioned, I never rode on a commercial flight, but one time uh, I was visiting some people, and this is out in Oklahoma, and uh, there's this lot of flat space, and I was visiting these people's ranch, and everybody owns like a lot of acres, and there's no fences. And uh, the people that live next door to the people I was visiting had a plane. And uh, the guy goes, hey... uh, and I don't know what kind of plane it was because it, it, it could hold some cargo. Okay. But it was still a small plane. <laughs> and he says, hey, uh, I'll take you up. You want to go for a ride? And I go, yeah, sure. And then when, they fir- when he first leaves the ground, I felt like kind of white-knuckling it a little sure. bit. And then once he got up there, I was okay. And then he says, hey, uh, I'm going to run it through the maneuvers, right? And this guy did just like the craziest stuff. I mean, you know, buzzing the cow and going in between these stands of trees and uh, all kind of really crazy stuff. I can't remember when he did any loop-de-loops, but I mean, that's what it was feeling like it to me. And uh, he's laughing the whole time, and he's like, he thinks he's the daredevil guy. I thought, I... And when he lands, I go, hey, thanks for the flight. And I'm thinking to myself, I probably won't get in the plane again with this guy. And then come to find out, uh, I, I had left. It was, it was like a vacation. Right. And then when I got back in touch with my uh, uh, people there, right. uh, they said, hey, uh, so-and-so next door, they came and got him. I go, can we meet? He came and got him. And stuff. He got arrested. He was a smuggler. Well, that's why he knew how to do it. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> I'm going to get him on the show, but I knew this guy. And he was a smuggler back in the 70s, and he used to smuggle weed up from Mexico. Yeah, I don't know what this guy was smuggling. but He told me a story where there was a guy who was a, one of the part of his ring, and he, they used him for transport. And he was this crazy ex-military pilot. And um, he... Uh, he had a B-17, and he would fly it with his dog. His dog was the co-pilot, and he would never check the fuel. He would, his dog would tell him how good the fuel was, okay? And so one day, they, they had arranged for an airdrop. And again, this is back in the 70s. This guy actually even wrote for, like, Miami Vice. And, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a very good author. He wrote a, a very interesting book. Um, but... And I'll get him on. He has some interesting beliefs about, you know, the earth and and satellites. And, well, I'll just get him on. But he wrote a book called The Cosmic Bandito. And he's like a a wandering surfer. Anyway, so this buddy of his has this B-17. And what they do is they put the, the weed bales in the bomb bay. And so he would fly over the Keys and the, the people who were getting the weed, they would light um, like flares. And so he would buzz them 
and opened the bomb bay, and he dropped the weed bales onto the target. He was apparently very accurate, even though he's the only one doing it. He didn't have a bombardier. He was manually triggering the bomb bay doors, so he would do these weed drops. So one day, the, uh, the DEA got wise to what they were doing, and they arrested the guys out in the, in the boats waiting for the bales to drop. And so this guy comes barreling in. They light the, the DEA lights the flares. He does the drop, and he goes to pull out. I mean, a B-17 is a big airplane. Like, it's a really big plane. So he goes to pull out, but he hadn't checked the fuel because the dog said the fuel was okay. So he goes to pull up, and his engines failed. All four radial engines die because on the incline, the fuel right. pushed to the back, and there was almost none in there. And so the, the, the engines cut. So he actually had to ditch the plane. So when this happened, they, got, they all got arrested. They all got rounded up. And so they get sent to jail. And they, <clears throat> they had accumulated quite a stash of cash that they had put in the Cayman Islands. And they're, you know, they're all thinking, man, we're, we're up the river. And, and the pilot, he vanished. Like, he ditched the plane, and then he, him and his dog, they just disappeared. Nobody knew where they went. So they're all sitting in jail, whatever, and they're waiting to get, you know, get sentenced, and it's super bad. And so they had a, there was another guy that was part of their group, and I guess he had worked for, like, the Department of State or something, but he was nuts. Like, he, he carried a hand grenade on a necklace around his neck, okay? That's where he was at in his life. And so they're all in this jail holding cell waiting to go through the process. And the guy comes down, the, the, the ex-Department uh, of State guy comes down there, and he's dressed in this beautiful brand-new suit, looks great. He's really cleaned himself up, right? Shaved off the three-day beard, you know, wasn't, wasn't you know, high out of his mind. He comes down and he tells the, the feds, let these guys out. They're material witnesses and whatever. And so they let him out. And the guy's like, okay, we got to go. And so he drives them in, a, in his government SUV. He drives them out to this, like, rinky-dink airport in the middle of nowhere. And there's a Gulfstream 4, $20 million plane. There's a Gulfstream 4 sitting on the runway with its engines running. And they get out and they get on the, on the plane. And lo and behold, who's the pilot? The B-17 pilot. He's got the dog in the, as his co-pilot. And they're like, dude, do you have enough fuel to, like, get us out of here? Because he had just ditched, you know, five days before he, he rammed a B-17 into the Florida Everglades. <laughs> he's all, uh, let me check. He goes, Buster, the dog. He's all, Buster, how are we doing on fuel? And the dog goes, roof. He's like, okay, we're good. Goes full power, and they took off. Uh, how we got from uh, predictions to uh – well, it Flight was, patterns. It was the it was the plane. Yeah, having the foreboding of something's going to happen yeah, on this that, plane, train, or automobile. And that is that prediction is incorrect because he pleaded with the FAA to ground all aircraft for like the next four days. Yeah, he was convinced. He was convinced, and he would tell anybody that listened. And when I heard that interview with Art Bell and him, that that crash haunted him and basically screwed up his life. And knowing. Knowing really messed him up. Yeah, so because he, he couldn't. I'd be better it. not to know. Well, he couldn't stop it. Right. There was just enough information missing that he couldn't stop the crash. So you know, you know, you, you, you as the days wind by, as we go toward the new year, 
you know, every news outfit out there, including CNN or Fox or whoever you watch, they're all going to do predictions. Everybody does predictions. And I think for the most part, we kind of poo-poo them and say, well, you know, this one, this is not true. It's BS, you know, but some of these actually come to pass. Now, in general, I think we actually uh, manifest or create the narrative. And if enough people uh, believe it, um, everything, uh, all, everything will line up so it does happen. But I think that is true. Uh, yeah, in general, that is true. But once in a while, it seems like there is like forces beyond uh, like the instance that you're uh, mm-hmm. talking about. That it, uh, he locked on to something. He did. Uh, he it, locked. He locked on to something. Something wasn't quitting. <laughs> he just. He didn't. He had just enough information missing that he couldn't stop it. But that's the way it is because I think I don't believe I don't believe in predestination, but I do believe that there are checkpoints where you're where you're supposed to be or you're not. And for me, when I, I know when I see a 93, that's this whole secret chief thing. When I see the number 93 or 333 or whatever, I know for me personally that that is a marker that says I am where I'm supposed to be. It doesn't matter whether I'm suffering. It doesn't matter whether I'm happy. You know, it doesn't matter whether I'm sad or I'm, I'm just okay. If I see that, I know that at that moment I'm supposed to be in that parking lot at Walmart. For whatever reason, because there's a, it's like I told you once, for me personally, there's like, it's like a highway. It's like a road. And if you drive down the center, everything's great. But if you veer to the right or veer to the left, as you drift off the road, that's where people throw their cans and, and, you know, your sunglasses that get blown off your face when you're riding your motorcycle, they all end up there. And so it it gets bouncy and bumpy. There's rocks and, you know, you get your windshield chipped or whatever. But I think that there is a there is a optimal path that we're supposed to be on, and as we drift, it gets cloudy. When I see that ninety three, I know I'm in the center of the lane. You know, I just thought of something right now, and just the way things line up, I guess, is uh, Juliet got in, into a car accident. Right, you told me. About uh, yeah, she was stopped at a stoplight, and a truck didn't stop in time and plowed into the back of her. So now she's paranoid in driving. And then one night she had to go out and she says, you got to drive. And I said, come on, you know, you got to get over this. And she goes, no, uh, this time uh, you got to drive. Because I was kind of like forcing her, you know, you got to get back on the horse. You know, it's like, don't ask me to drive you uh, all over the place. And uh, because she was paranoid about driving. Right. And uh, uh, she goes, no, this time I won't go if, if you don't drive. And she's getting paid for this job. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll drive you. And you know, when we got off of uh, uh, and entered Stockton Road, right. uh, and it was pitch black, there was no moon, and all of a sudden there was a herd of deer in the middle of the road. Ah. And I had to, I had to do a... Uh, you know, weave in and out uh, because there was she just... She knew. Yeah, uh, I think she did. Yeah. Uh, then you can just say, well, that's a coincidence because she was a little paranoid about driving and stuff. But I was kind of like forcing her to drive. She goes, okay, I'll drive. 
But this time she says, I won't go unless you drive. No, she knew. All right. Well, that was another thrilling uh, episode of the Enigma Hour with Captain Dave over there and me, Captain Olav or Captain Tiki. And expect better things in the future. Oh, yes. Um, uh, I predict. (laughs) Oh, yes. What is your prediction for the new year? Well, you know what? I'm going to go back to the... So, um, you know, I've been doing this radio station for a while. Yeah, and, long time. Uh, you uh, run this station. Uh, but I had on this guy, he came from Peru, and he went out and studied with the Curanderos. Right, he's only And, uh, okay, he was the, um, the sound guy. Yeah. Sound. And uh, he's pretty legit because the museums, if they find this ancient uh, instrument... They'll contact him to, to, play it. to play it, to see what it sounded like, see what the sounds and stuff. And then uh, they have a concept called Taki Hampe. And okay. it's a uh, healing with sound. Sure. And if you hit the right frequency uh, and things start resonating, things come back in the proper vibrations. Right. And <laughs> we actually, I had him on the air and we were going to heal the city of Sonora. And uh, he did a concert, and we broadcast it everywhere. But I guess not enough people were uh, listening. Nobody was listening. <laughs> or not enough people. So what's your prediction? Uh, my prediction is that uh, uh, hold tight and uh, just do it. Just continue to follow your bliss, dance, and do the small acts of uh, kindness. And uh, did you know that the very first satellite link that they had, there were 19 television networks worldwide, that it was the first satellite uh, link, and they wanted to do a broadcast. Wasn't it like Elvis or something? Okay. Uh, They hired John Lennon, who wrote the song, All You Need Is Love. And that was the very first... Um, satellite link broadcast that broadcast worldwide. All you need is love. Yeah, and I, you want to know what? I think it had an effect. Yeah, I think it did too. You know, when I was a kid, they, they did like Farm Aid. You know, they did like uh, Aid for Africa. And they would simulcast <laughs> them. And I think it made a difference. Yeah. So, okay. uh, so we got to just change the narrative and create a narrative that... Uh, is positive. Although there are, uh, you're one force, you need to align yourself yes. uh, where you need to be, the forces, but also you do have a certain amount of control. There are you other do. forces. No, you, you uh, have that, free will. Uh, and so uh, just uh, barrel through it, man. My prediction is <clears throat> things have been kind of rough the last couple of years. But I think they're going to get better. I just, I have a feeling of optimism. Yeah, I guess I do too. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times, well, in, uh, let's just say in my case, that a lot of times my personal life, uh, you could look at the outside world and see sure. what's happening there. And, and what's happening inside of me is reflective of, of one another. You know? And it's just not the environment. Uh, well, maybe it is. I just remember in the 60s, all the stuff that was going on. I mean, a lot of the similar kind of stuff. 
Right. That had the Vietnam War and uh, gas, uh, gas problems, and, and the uh, yeah, just like everything going wrong. But you listen to the music, right? And it's like this happy, poppy, and it didn't matter what the words were. No, uh, just the tune, the tone was upbeat, poppy. That's, that's like pumped up kicks. <laughs> if you actually listen to the lyrics of pumped up kicks, it's pretty horrifying. Yeah, I know. But it's, but it's like super poppy and fun. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to talk about shooting people. Yay. <laughs> so do you think, uh, what message do you get? No, but I, I think I think it's definitely, I have a sense of, of extreme <laughs> optimism that I think in general, you know, over 2024, I don't think it's going to start out that great, but I think that over time, you know, things are going to go wrong. Severe, so I think some severe things are going to go wrong. But at the same time, I think in general, you know, the world's going to settle down a little bit. You know, this, this Are we going to reach a higher stage of spiritual evolution? No. As a species? No, I don't think the age of Aquarius <laughs> is coming in 2024. But I do think that things are going to settle down and not be so severe. Yeah. And I predict uh, a lot of good things for oh, yeah. the Enigma Hour. I do too. We, we're right on the cusp. Right. So we've, we've gotten our feet wet now. Yep. How long have you and I been, uh, how many uh, episodes? Like 30 maybe? No, no. Oh, hold on. I'll tell you if you give me a second. Well, just give me a month. It hasn't really been, been that long. Oh, hold on. <coughs> I got them all saved. Let me find my name. So as he's looking for that. Uh, this will be number 23, I think. Okay, that's quite a few. Oh, 23 weeks. Yeah. So uh, when We had he, a couple breaks, so we're probably up to 25. Um, so when Olaf first came in and he, he came in and I little, I, I didn't know who he was. No. I didn't even know why he was inquiring. And they said, Oh, here's uh, and I said, Oh man, fresh meat to do a show. And then they said, no, he's, uh, he's going to do engineering, which he, I have yet to do. And, uh, and then I looked at him and I said, well, if you were going to have a show, uh, what would it be? And you said, uh, paranormal tiki. Yeah. And I said, hey, how about Thursday night? <laughs> and I looked, at, I looked at my girlfriend, and she looked at me, and she nodded. And I said, okay, I'll be there. Yeah, so. And you were only supposed to be on the show like three times. Yeah, to help you to help uh, get going. Yeah. But it was kind of important to me because I had longed for a show of this type. And I knew I couldn't swing it by myself. No. And I had tried to recruit people to be more like a panel. Yeah, no, I, you know, I mean, like, if people would come down here at 10 o'clock at night, I'd have a panel every time. Yeah. Well, we're going to start working yeah, no, on that. we're going to work on that. Right. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Well, I guess that's the end of the show. Uh, I'm going to play some Rolling Stones uh, on the way yeah, out. Yeah, you uh, kind of strayed away from the tiki tonight, didn't I you? I did, I did. But it's not a very tiki uh, topic. But uh, you're listening to KADLP, 103.5 FM Sonora. And, uh, yeah, good night. <laughs>